Thanks, Daniel. Uh, my name is Ron Cool. I'm one of the pastors here, and again, it's a joy to welcome all of you here this morning. A couple of weeks ago, we started a, a sermon series that's going to take us through the rest of the summer and then, <coughs> excuse me, into the fall. We started looking at Paul's letter to the Galatians. And we said that if we're going to understand what Paul wrote to these Galatians, what he was telling them, we have to understand what the problem was. And and so we've been talking about it, and I want to just remind us of that. What was going on is this, that there were one group of Christians, what we called the final step Christians down here. This group of Christians became concerned. And again, I talked about that last week, that it's always a little bit dangerous when one group of Christians becomes very concerned about another group of Christians. But they were concerned about these Galatian Christians. You see, the final step Christians, they were from Jerusalem. They were certainly believers in Jesus, but they also carried on their Jewish traditions. They said, we know how Jesus followed God. We know who we're supposed to follow God. And so they continued to practice things like circumcision, and they continued to to be very careful about what they ate. They they followed the Jewish dietary laws. They continued to to follow things like the Sabbath observance and special days and so on. And they, they said, this is what God commanded us in his word. And they were concerned because they had heard that Paul, the one who had told the Galatians about Jesus, that Paul hadn't told them about Moses. When Paul went to Galatia, they were Gentiles. They did not know Jesus at all. They didn't know Judaism. They didn't know any of those practices. And so Paul told them about Jesus. The Holy Spirit came on them. And then Paul said, love your neighbor. And he didn't tell them about Moses. He didn't tell them about those things. And that really concerned this final step group. They said, it's not just Jesus. There's more that they have to know. And so out of their Christian love, they went up and they had a discussion with the Galatian Christians. And they shared with them what they were missing. The the, the final part, what would really turn their spiritual life on fire, what they were missing. And they talked to them about those things, about being circumcised, about all of that stuff. And, And then they shared that with them. And then they went back down to Jerusalem. Now, from the way that Paul writes to the Galatians, it's pretty easy to suggest that the Galatian Christians were kind of excited about all this. they, They either wrote Paul or told Paul, but they were excited about saying, now we know. Now we know about Moses. Now we know how to really belong to God. Now we know what God is really looking for. And, and let's be honest, it's a lot easier to avoid pork than it is to love your neighbor. <laughs> I mean, right, it's just a lot easier to do this. This gives us concrete things. We can know at the end of the day that we did what God wanted. And so, so they were all excited about that. But when Paul heard about it, he was hopping mad, all right? And we talked about last week what he, what he wrote in, in verses 6 and 7. He said, I am astonished. I am dumbfounded. I am shocked that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. And he said, you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And that's the heart of the problem. He says, you know what, these guys didn't just come and supplement what I taught. They didn't just come and complete what I taught. They absolutely radically changed what I taught, and it is no longer the gospel. It is no longer the gospel. And in fact, Paul goes on to say, they should be damned by God for this. Let them be under God's curse. I mean, it's really strong language. So Paul starts off and he makes this really strong claim. They are dead wrong. Now Paul's going to talk about, and we'll come back, we did a little bit last week, we'll do it in the weeks ahead, why they were wrong, what was wrong with what they were saying, and we'll come back to that. But, but Paul knows something. Paul knows that, that as soon as he says this, that as the Galatians get this letter, there's a huge question they're going to have to ask. And the question they're going to ask is this, why should we trust Paul? You know, we look at it and we say, well, because Paul wrote the New Testament. Hello, you got to listen to Paul. They didn't know that. This was not that everybody in the church knew that Paul was right. 
I mean, what they have, think about it. These are new Christians, and they have one pastor come to them and say, this is the gospel. And they get the Holy Spirit and they say, this is great. And then we have another group come. This group says, no, 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 that's not quite right. This is right. And now Paul is saying, no, 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 they're not right. I'm right. And if you think about it, those first step group, that that group, they had a, a, a fair amount of strength on their side. I mean, they had been with Jesus when Jesus was alive. Paul, as far as we know, never was. If he was, he was only there trying to trick Jesus. I mean, these guys had walked with Jesus. Don't you think they'd know a little bit more about what Jesus wanted? Don't you think they'd be right? They came, at least they said they came, from the Jerusalem church leaders. This is the first church. This is, these are the most respected people. Peter, John, James, the brother of Jesus. These are, they, they sent us. And so it's like, okay, Paul kind of came from the church in Antioch. These guys are coming from the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was first. They know better, and they knew their Bibles really well. I mean, they didn't have to just talk. They quoted Scripture. Maybe not the most accurately, I might suggest, but they read their Bibles, and they knew their Bibles well. And they raised some questions about Paul. And they must have asked. and said, well, where did Paul get his gospel? Got it from the Jerusalem leaders, right? That's where everybody got it from. It was Peter, John, and James who taught all of us. And so got it from them. And so let me tell you, what we're telling you from Peter, John, and James is right, Paul's wrong. It's a pretty strong case. And they said, you know, we understand. Paul is one of these guys. We still say it today. Paul's one of those preachers. He's just looking for converts, not disciples. Just wants another notch in his belt. Wants to be able to send out a fundraising letter saying he had 10,000 conversions at the rally last week, right? And so that's what Paul's about. He's just trying to please people. He's just trying to tickle ears so he can get you to sign on the dotted line so he can raise more money. And he's just trying to... I mean, seriously, if you think about it, these poor Galatians, in some ways, they were in this really difficult situation. You got these two people. And so, and so Paul wants to deal with that. He knows that he's got to spend a fair amount of time, and so he does this. In, in, in Galatians 1.10, 1 verse 10, all the way to 2 verse 10, a lot of section, Paul's going to try to give four reasons why he and his gospel can be trusted. It's 25 verses, and, 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 and that's a lot. That's a huge section. It's about sixth, I think, of, of the whole book of Galatians. And Paul is answering this question. This is why you should trust me. Now... If you've been reading ahead, and I appreciate some of you do, this is one of those sections that when you read through it, you kind of go, who cares? Paul's going to talk about stuff about he traveled here and he did this and he talked to this person and this happened, and it doesn't seem real relevant. So before we get into why, those four reasons, I want us to ask, why should we care? (laughs) Why should we care whether the Galatians trusted Paul? We did. We do, so it doesn't really matter to us. Ron, skip this section, go to the next. No. Let me tell you why I think this is important. And, and it starts with this. Think about this fact. Never before have people had as many opportunities to listen to different preachers as we have today. Right? Think about the internet. Think about podcasts. Think about radio. Think about television. You can literally listen to a thousand sermons today if you had time. Right? You can find a million different sermons online. You can listen to so many different preachers. There is a part of every preacher today who kind of thinks those guys in the old days, yeah, they had to preach for an hour and a half, but they were the only show in town. I mean, it wasn't like people could turn Andy Stanley on their TVs. It wasn't like they could stay home on Sunday and watch the super preacher. They didn't have to compete with that. People couldn't do that. 
But I'll tell you, we live in a day and age where, where you can listen to, and a lot of you do, and a lot of that is good. The question is, how do you know who you should really trust? How, how do you know? If you listen to a preacher, how do you know? Is that person somebody you should trust? And, and so what I want us to do as we go through this is recognize that the four things that Paul says make a trustworthy, that make him trustworthy, still work to make a trustworthy preacher today. And, and, and so what I want to think about with you are four qualities then today as we look through this of a trustworthy preacher. And I want you to think about those preachers you listen to in other places, and oh yeah, maybe you should listen to think about the preachers you listen to here. Because if I'm not meeting these, you need to talk to me. If we're not doing this here, if Daniel's not, if we're not doing this here, then you shouldn't trust us, okay? I mean, this is really important, so it really does matter to think about, okay, when you listen to a sermon, what should you be thinking about? What should you be asking? And, and you know, in some ways, preachers hate to do this kind of stuff because it's like you're going to go, oh, yeah, Ron, you didn't do that that time. So I want to just kind of go through these and, and have you think about it and say, okay, what, what makes for somebody I can trust when they're preaching the gospel? Four things. First thing is, is kind of a negative one in terms of Paul says this. He says, a trustworthy preacher is not a people pleaser. A trustworthy preacher is not somebody whose main goal is to be liked. And let me tell you, that's a huge challenge for many preachers, and it's a challenge for me, because we all like to be liked. A lot of preachers are pastors who have a heart for people and want to help people, and, 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 and we want people to like us. We don't like it when people get angry at us, and so it's really easy to fall into pleasing people. The fact is, elders do like numbers that go up. <laughs> Deacons like finances that go up and money that comes in. And, 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 and so it's always really tempting. It was in Paul's day. It's still in our day. It will forever be a temptation for preachers to, to tickle people's ears, right? To just tell people what they want and not tell people the truth. Start with Galatians 1.9. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Strong words. Paul says, oh, by the way, am I now trying to uh, win the approval of human beings? This was never in Dale Carnegie's course. (laughs) If you want to win friends and influence people, you don't say, I hope God sends you to hell. (laughs) Those people you really like, I hope God sends them to hell. That's not good people-pleasing skills. So Paul is saying, excuse me, I'm not doing that, okay? I am not afraid of speaking the truth. I am not afraid of telling anybody what they need to hear. I am not afraid of any of that. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? When I say this, I am, I'm telling you, I'm only aiming at God, right? You've got to know that my goal is to please God. Not so that he will love me, but it's to please God because he has saved me. And I want to respond. And I want people to know it. So I think you know that I'm trying to please God. Or am I really, do you think, trying to please people? If I were still, interesting, he says still, right? As a Pharisee, that was at least part of what Paul was doing. His motivation was, was to honor God, but it was also to make sure we look good. Right? I want you to think I'm holy. I, I'm, if I was still trying to please people, I, I would not be a servant of Christ. If I'm worried too much about you liking me, then I'm not worried enough about the Word of God. And and, and I'm not a good servant of Christ. Paul says a trustworthy preacher is one who is not a people pleaser. So beware. I give you a number of things to beware of during this message. Beware of a preacher who needs to be liked. 
I, I make that bold because all of us like to be liked. <laughs> but beware of a preacher who needs to be liked. Beware of preachers who like large crowds because it feeds their own ego. Again, this is hard to evaluate because, again, I, I, I like it when we have big crowds because I want to tell people about Jesus. And it's a fine line between wanting big crowds so I can tell people and more people about Jesus and wanting big crowds because I'm somebody. I'm somebody, man. Look at all these people. Listen to me. Man, this is good, right? Whew. I tell you, when you get that, that's, that can be like a drug. It can be like, you know, this hit of, of, of something, some joy, and, and it can, you know, it's, kinda, it's so easy to fall into that. So beware of it. I try to be very aware of it. If you see it in me, challenge me on it, confront me about it. Preachers need to dare to tell the truth to us and themselves. The gospel is wonderful news that we are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, but the gospel is also really tough news that you are just worse than you imagined you were. You are more sinful than you imagined, and it's tough to tell the truth. It's sometimes tough to know exactly where it is, but then it's really tough knowing people are going to be upset. So beware, beware of people who, who aren't willing to tell the truth. So a trustworthy preacher, there we go, that's the first one, is not a people pleaser. Second one, and, and Paul spends a fair amount of time on this one. This must have been a big deal to the people in Galatia. And again, it's still a real big temptation today. A, a trustworthy preacher does not preach human wisdom. What, what I mean by that is when I preach, if I'm preaching like Ann Landers, if I'm preaching what somebody else told me and not God's word, if I'm preaching, you know, it might be a great theory, but if I'm preaching that kind of stuff, if I'm, and, 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 and we'll be honest about this, you like it. If I give you five clues to inc- improve your marriage, if I give you four ways to be a better parent, you go, oh, Ron, that's great. I'm just preaching my ideas. It's a waste of time. There are smarter people out there who can give you better answers to those questions. Paul says, I didn't get this from anybody else, all right? He starts at verse 11. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I didn't come up with it myself. I didn't read it in some book. I didn't get it from anybody else. This is not like the greatest wisdom of our age. This is not what I'm doing. He said, I I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it. I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to come back on number four. Okay, these, these doors flip sides. Paul says a trustworthy preacher does not preach human wisdom. And, and he says, he, 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 like I say, he pounds on this one pretty good. And he says, you know, I didn't come up with this on my own. It wasn't that I was like, hey, I hear this gospel thing. I think I can twist it a little bit, make it my own, and I can make some, you know, hay with this. This makes a lot of sense. I can, I can do this. No. Paul says the gospel of Jesus was not something he came up with himself. It wasn't his own thoughts. And if I'm preaching my wisdom, we got a big problem. Paul says, I hated the gospel. You know that. For you know, verse 13, for you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God, tried to destroy it. This is not like I was going, hey, it's pretty cool. It's like, no, I was trying to kill people who believed it. And now I'm preaching it. He said, this is not my own idea. The only way this happened is because God knocked me on my behind and, and changed my heart and my life and gave me the gospel. He said, I, I, I hated the gospel, and I wasn't tired of my Jewish faith, looking for something new to teach. Paul says, I was not like thinking, oh, I'm so overwhelmed with trying to be a good person. Sometimes we think that Paul was like Martin Luther. 
In some ways they were, but in this they weren't. Paul was not just saying, oh, I'm not quite good enough, I'm not quite good enough. Paul says, no, I, you know what, I was, I was a great Jew. I was so respected. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. I was happy. I was happy, but all of a sudden, everything changed. That had to come from outside of me, Paul says. That had to come from outside of me. Paul did not get this from anyone else. And Paul didn't, or Paul didn't come up with this on his own, and he didn't get this from anybody else. Now he's going to give us a long biographical section, okay? So this, stick with me on this, but the, the main point is just Paul wants to say, look, after I was converted, I didn't go get it from the Jerusalem leaders. Okay, this is what he does, all right? He says, but when God... When God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. God, who set me apart in order to preach to the Gentiles. When God was pleased to reveal his son in me. First to me, then in me. This Paul's talking about his conversion. When God called me to be his person so that I could preach the gospel to the Gentiles, all right? When that happened, Paul says, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. Okay, I didn't get this and go, oh, what, what, what happened to me, Peter? What happened to me, John? What happened to me, James? Explain this to me, Pastor Ron. No, he said, God talked to me. God told me what was going on. And I just, I didn't go talk to any other human being. So here, let's kind of, we'll move Paul around. We've got to shrink him down. He's not got the letter anymore. And, 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 and he was in, we'll go back before conversion. Okay, so he's in Jerusalem. He's persecuting the church there. And we said a couple of weeks ago that Paul was on his way to Damascus when, when he was saved and his life was turned around, all right? Paul says, when that happened, when God was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him to the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being, right? Paul says, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. I didn't go talk to them at all, okay? That's not where I learned my stuff. I learned it from Jesus himself, okay? I didn't learn it from them, but I went into Arabia. Now, Paul actually went up to Damascus for about three days before he went down to Arabia. Later, he wasn't there that long, but later I returned to Damascus, so we bring him back to Damascus, all right? Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. I did go, okay? I did go. I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, Peter, and I stayed with him 15 days, okay? Not enough time to get a seminary education, okay? I did not do that. So, so he says, I, I went down here, and he turns around so he can talk to Peter nice, right? And, 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 and so he does this. He says, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother, okay? So James, yep, he talked to James too, okay? That's it. I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie, okay? I, I did not get it from any other human being. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. Syria, Damascus is in, is in Syria, so maybe you spent some time there. Went maybe to Antioch, there were a group of Christians there. And Cilicia is actually the area where Tarsus is, where he was home and born, and so on, where he lived. And, and, and he stayed there 14 years, okay? Stayed there 14 years. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. These churches in Judea, down here, around Jerusalem, I, they didn't know me. I didn't stop in and make friends. I didn't learn from any of them. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. Okay? Gospel I preached didn't come from anybody else. 
I didn't go and learn it from Peter, John, James. I didn't go learn it from any of their disciples. I got it from Jesus Christ himself. So what I am telling you is absolutely true. A trustworthy preacher does not preach human wisdom. Again, as I say, this is so tempting. God's word is God's word. But man, sometimes we don't understand it. Like I say, this is a section that's long, hard, kind of confusing. I, I wanted to just kind of skip over it. But I don't want to give you my stuff. So beware. Beware of preachers who sound more like Dr. Phil than Paul. Like I say, it's so tempting, and you love it. Here are three things you can do to be financially free. Here are five ways that you can, you know, teach your kids this. You go, oh, Ron, that's so helpful. But is it the gospel? Is it God's word, or is it my word? Is it human wisdom? When a preacher starts to sound more like Dear Abby than Paul, say, I got a question. Preachers, uh, beware of preachers who are focused more on what we should do than what God has done. You know, we like grace, but we also really like, okay, I like specific, give me action steps. Give me some specific things I can do right now, right? Don't you leave saying, I want to know my action steps. And in some ways, when we preach the gospel, the action step is recognize there's nothing you can do. The action step is just die and let Jesus live in you. Well, no, Ron, I want something I can do. Love your neighbor. (laughs) Can we go back to not eating bacon? Beware. When I, anybody here, anybody anywhere starts talking, again, there are things we're supposed to do. The gospel is a declaration of what God has done. All right, so a trustworthy preacher is not a people pleaser. A trustworthy preacher does not preach human wisdom. The third thing, and this is really interesting, a a, a trustworthy preacher does listen to others. Paul, having said, I spent 17 years and I didn't go down to Jerusalem. I didn't do that. I didn't listen to them. I didn't get it from them. I got it from me. But then he says, but by the way, I did go down there after 17 years to make sure I had it right. I, I wanted to be willing if they told me I was wrong. Isn't that interesting? He says, you know, he says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. By the way, I say down because it's down on the map, but for Jewish people, Jerusalem is always up. Jerusalem, you'd never go down to Jerusalem. You go up to Jerusalem. So that's why if you say, I went up again to Jerusalem, I'll let you know how to read maps. No, it's, it's, you always go up to Jerusalem. He says, this time, Took a couple of friends with me, this time with Barnabas, all right? And I want to suggest that maybe Paul went to Cyprus first because Barnabas was from Cyprus. He was a Jewish Christian from Cyprus uh, and was a friend of Paul's, and so he goes with Paul. And Paul says, I took Titus along also. Okay, heads up. Heads up, Titus is from Greece, okay, which means he was born not on the scroll, but behind it. That's where Greece is, okay, over there. Titus is from Greece. (laughs) You know what that means? Um... That means that he is, he joins Paul there. He's a Gentile Christian, and he's not circumcised. So Paul's going to go with Barnabas and Titus. And you can say, oh, okay, Paul, go. No, think about it. Paul knows he's bringing dynamite to Jerusalem. He's bringing Titus, an uncircumcised Greek, to meet with Peter and John and James to say, all right, boys, what you going to do? This is not an abstract issue. Here's my friend Titus. What are you going to do with Titus? 
Paul says, I went in response to a vision, a revelation, meeting privately with those who esteemed as leaders. And so Paul says, I met with, with the big guys. I met with the big guns. I, I presented them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. And so again, you got Paul, okay, you know, and imagine this had to be pretty frightening for Paul. He goes down, he's been 17 years at this, he's been preaching. It's not that he hasn't, he's been telling people about Jesus. He said, now I preach to them. Preaching to seminary professors is never fun. I praise God, none of you are. Don't ever invite a seminary professor to our church. <laughs> they go other places. No, but he says, I, I preached what I preached, Christ alone. Because I wanted to be sure that I was not running and that I've been running my race in vain. Paul says, I went to Jerusalem to get it checked out. And here's what happened. Again, there are five results. Don't worry about the specifics of it. Just know this. Paul says, they didn't change a thing. He says, Titus was not circumcised. Remember Titus? Yeah, Titus is there. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was circumcised. There's Titus there. He was not compelled. Somebody tried to force him to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. So you want to talk about circumcision? These guys want to come and tell you that Peter, James, and John told them you need to be circumcised? Let me tell you, I was there with Titus in their homes. Titus was not circumcised, and they did not make him be circumcised. Now, this issue arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. These, these, we don't know if these false believers were the same as, the, as, as the, 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 first, the final step group or if they were actually a group of Jewish people who, who were trying to force the Christians not to cause problems, so at least make sure everybody gets circumcised. But, they, you know, they're trying to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. They didn't make us do it, friends. If they, if they sent them, either they didn't send these guys to you, or they changed their song. But Titus was not circumcised. They added nothing to Paul's gospel. 2 verse 6, as for those who were held in high esteem. And I don't know. Sometimes they were about Paul a little bit because he seems to like poking bears and stuff like that. Eh, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. La-di-da. You know, right? I mean, they added nothing to my message. I said Christ alone. They said amen. That's the gospel. Amen, brother. Preach it. They added nothing to Paul's gospel. They recognized God had given them different areas in which to work. On the contrary, they recognized that they had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, or to, that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. Okay. For God, verse 8, for God who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. They added nothing. He said, Paul, we understand this now. God's calling us to do this. God's calling you to do that. So bless you as you go. Don't try to tell me that these people came from Peter, James, and John and told you I was wrong. It's interesting. I don't want to make a big deal out of this, but it is an interesting thing to just recognize and think about. Is that from the early church on, they recognized that we need to make sure we're not in competition with other ministries. There are other churches in town here, some of which I'm thankful I don't have to go to. Um, but if they're preaching Christ, I'm thankful that they're there. We're going to reach different people. We're going to reach some people here. We're going to reach some people here. Some churches are going to reach other people. 
Now, I, I never want that to be along racial lines. That's one of the problems. It's become that to a degree. We need to change that. But they're just people, some people like this style of music more. Friends, we are not in competition with every other church. Paul was not in competition with Peter. He said, God's given us our ministry. God gives you your ministry. Just do you well. Be the best hillside you can be. Don't try to be somebody else. And, and, and so just recognize that, that. They recognized God had given them different areas in which to work. They shook hands. James, Cephas, that's Peter and John, these esteemed as, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. So they, they shook hands. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And then one thing. They did do this. They asked Paul to remember the poor. Just take care of those who are in need. Interesting that that's the thing they mention. Tells us something about the heart of God. And Paul says, I love that. And all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. All right, so Paul says, you know what? I, I went to get it checked out. And they added nothing. They said I was right on. And, and, and I think we've got to recognize that, that preachers we trust do listen to others. It's not that we just listen to others in the sense of saying, oh, I want to preach what that person is saying. I want to preach. No, but if others are, are, are there to criticize me, and that's why part of what I think is important for us to have here is we have elders who are over the preachers in our church, okay? I'm not their boss. They're my boss. I don't tell them I'm right, they're wrong. I say, I'll listen to you. And, 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 and so that's just so important to me because it's... We need to listen to others, not to hear their wisdom, but to seek God's will. But, friends, we can just get it wrong. And, 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 and we have a ch- group of churches called a classes in a denomination. Help us stay true to the gospel. You may have heard me complain sometimes about classes, these other churches around us. We have meetings that are wonderfully fun. <laughs> now they've ruined it because they made me one of the cheer people. I don't... Ugh. On the one hand, it can be really boring. On the other hand, it's really important that we care about each other. I, I, I understand independent churches, but it's really dangerous if you don't have another church to worry about you, to care for you, to love you enough to speak the truth. I think there's some real value in that. So beware of preachers who refuse to let anyone evaluate them. If a preacher says, you can't tell me, Placed the red flag real high. All right. So, a trustworthy preacher is not a people pleaser. A trustworthy preacher does not preach human wisdom. A trustworthy preacher does listen to others. And finally, and, and this is kind of the culmination all on the flip side of number two, a trustworthy preacher tries to say what God says. That's what a sermon is. It's a, a preacher trying to say what God says, not trying to say what Ron thinks, not trying to say what this philosopher thinks, not trying to, trying to say what God says. Paul received his gospel from Jesus and God the Father through direct revelation. That's why it's so important. He says at the beginning, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. That's who gave me my commission. Again, verses 11 and 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. 
He says, I'm giving you what God gave me. I'm not speaking my own words. I'm giving you what God gave me. Some of you got to have a question. <laughs> okay, Ron. Paul gave what God gave him. Does that mean that you have to have a direct revelation in order to preach? <laughs> I mean, unless God, like, zaps me and gives me direct instructions, do I need to just shut up? I thought we could kind of make it interesting and say, well, we'll send out a notice. We'll have church when I get a revelation from God. We don't know when that'll be, but when I get one, I'll let you know, and we'll gather together, and I'll share. I I believe God still guides us today, but what we believe here is that, no, I don't need to get a direct revelation from God because the direct revelation we get from God is in this book. And, and so we say, you know what, Paul was different, Peter was different, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of them were different. That the way God spoke to them was then captured in this book, and so the way I speak what God says is if I'm true to this book. And if I have any trustworthiness, if I have any authority, it's whether or not I preach this book. A trustworthy preacher tries to say what God says. You beware of, and then we're going to be done, all right? Beware of, and we kind of talked about this already, but preachers who use anything other than the Bible as the source of their preaching. If a preacher is talking about studies more than anything else, be careful. It's got to be the Word of God. But even that, beware of preachers who read a text and then ignore it. I I hope that when you're listening to sermons... That whether they're mine or Daniel's or whoever, anywhere or on the radio, that you're constantly saying, but is this from the text? Is this from what the Bible is saying? Because every once in a while I'll be listening to a sermon and this guy will get into a great rant about this or that or whatever. And it's, 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 it talks about God, it talks about Jesus, it's this great rant. But I want to say, what, what does that have to do with what you read? What does that have to do with the text you're looking at? Even if it's true, if it's, show me in the text. Show me that it's God's word because I don't want your words. I don't want your wisdom. I want God's word. And so beware of it. It's entirely possible for us to, to read a text and then walk away from it and say, yeah, there was a text. What was the text brought out? Did the preacher say what the text said? And, and then beware of preachers who make the text say what they would want rather than what it really says. This is where you're going to run into most problems is that we preachers are really good at uh, there it is, okay Um, we're really good at at taking a text and making it say something it never was intended to say say, wow, that's biblical, came right out of the Bible, classic example here, these are, I got two I could go, I could do a lot of them classic one um, that you may have heard Proverbs 29, 18, this is the King James Version, where there is no vision the people perish Friends, that's why God gave me this vision. We need to have a vision for our church. We need to be 2,500 members in the next seven years because where there is no vision, the people perish. If we do not have a vision as a church, you will get lost. We will get lost, and we will go nowhere. Where people perish, when there's no vision, the people perish, right? And this is what God is saying to us. First of all, the word perish is not really perish. It means they go crazy. It means they get into all sorts of trouble. It's not, they perish, not... And it's not talking about a vision for the church or for the people. It's talking about a vision of God's commandments. Because look at the rest of the verse. Never heard anybody quote the whole thing. But he keeps the law happy as he. 
Oh, hold on. And all of a sudden we realize we're talking about a whole different thing, aren't we? Without understanding what God calls us, how God calls us to live, we get confused and we get lost. Oh, but man, I needed the money for the building. I needed you to support me in the vision. And I want to go, well, just say there's no vision. The people perish. Don't worry about reading the rest of it. We do this. I'm sure I've done this. Call me on it. Call me on it. Call me on it. Here's one that's, that's, I hope you recognize it's ridiculous, but it's a preacher who's fairly popular today. I won't name the person. Preaching on Luke 2, verse 40. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom. And the grace of God was on him. Okay, this is Jesus, right? The grace of God was on him. Do you want the grace of God on your life? Do you want the grace of God on your life? Yes, you do. So how do we get the grace of God on us? Well, the text doesn't tell us, so let's do this. And this is, I quote from the sermon itself. Let's look at the word grace when it first was mentioned in the Bible. Oh, I take him. I'm going to jump back. In Genesis 6, verse 8, said that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, well, now look at this. Noah's name means rest. So what that means, what this verse, the word of God is telling us, is that rest found grace, right? Noah found grace. Noah means rest. Rest found grace. In other words, when you rest, you find grace. And Jesus rested in the Lord, and that's why the grace of God was out upon him. And that's just stupid, This is not, this is just crazy talk. It's not what the text is saying. It's playing games. And he's preaching ultimately his own wisdom. It's not the word of God. Beware of preachers who make the text say what they want it to say rather than what it really says. And then one more and we've got to finish up. But preachers only preach certain parts of the Bible. I love certain passages, comfort and grace and forgiveness. There are others that aren't so fun. So let's preach fun texts. <laughs> no. It's part of the reason why I want to go through a book like this. Because I don't get to choose. I don't get to just pick out the phrase that I want. I'm going to try to say, what is Galatians saying to us? What does Paul hear from God? What did God say through Paul? How do we hear this? So a trustworthy preacher is not, tries to say what God says. So those four things, huh? keep them in mind. A trustworthy preacher is not a people pleaser, does not preach human wisdom, does, does listen to others, and, and, and seeks to say what God says. The reason this matters ultimately is because God's grace alone can save. God's grace alone can save. So let's make sure that our preachers get the gospel right. Let's get the gospel right. Don't let me off the hook. Let's pray. Father, we can only stand before you in Christ. We can only experience new life in Christ. And so help us to know that, to preach that, to hear that, to listen to that. Father, speak to us, speak through those who preach to us and shape and mold us into your image. Father, you alone can save And so we listen for your voice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.